a world on edge. Nations across the globe bracing for possible war. In the U.S., lawmakers gearing up with a record pay raise for soldiers and a stress test for banks over war risks. Plus, a report hinting at a hypothetical clash between the U.S. and China in 2030. Elsewhere, Japan, the U.K. and Italy signing off on a new weapons deal. Surveillance data shared among U.S.-Asia allies. And the Philippines preparing against potential Chinese hostility. What's sparking the global surge in military readiness? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Can American banks take the cost of suddenly losing the Chinese market if Beijing chose to invade Taiwan? One House panel is asking the Federal Reserve to test out what would happen. In a Tuesday report, the House Select Committee on China said the Fed should be required to perform stress tests on U.S. banks. It also said the agency should get a sense of what impacts a war could have on U.S. financial markets. Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times, weighs in on the move. More on his remarks in our second half. A, a direct conflict or even indirect conflict between China and the United States would be detrimental for the entire globe economically. Um, we, we've seen report after report that you know, the U.S. economy and Chinese economy would essentially crater right, in, in a way that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. This comes as pressure of a potential Chinese invasion looms over Taiwan. Beijing sees Taiwan as part of its territory. The regime also vowed to take it under control by force if necessary, though it has never ruled the island. Taiwan is now on high alert. The island also set up a task force to monitor the Israel-Hamas war. Here's one big lesson it learned so far. Intelligence work is really important because only by having intelligence can we respond in advance and prevent a war with China. The rising pressure is putting some lawmakers on edge, even though Taiwan is an ocean away. A conflict involving Taiwan could cost America dearly. A congressman pointed to a war game simulation, showing the entire U.S. banking system could be put in danger. Equity markets would drop precipitously as global shipping lanes closed. Shipping insurance premiums would skyrocket, supply chains would break down. And the specter of global conflict uh, would grow, causing further chaos in the global financial system. Americans would likely see their pensions, their bank accounts hemorrhage cash. Americans had invested over a trillion dollars in Chinese stocks and bonds as of 2020. Meanwhile, signs hint that Beijing is preparing for war. The Chinese regime aims to increase its defense spending by over 7% this year, a faster rate than the country's GDP target. Plus, authorities are setting up over 90 offices in Fujian, a Chinese province sitting just across Taiwan. The offices are responsible for mobilizing resources in areas like transportation, economy, technology, data and communications. They're also designed to arrange civilian measures against would-be enemy air attacks. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. The Senate greenlit an annual military budget on Wednesday. This year's bill packs the largest pay raise for service members in two decades, an over 5% boost. The bill also authorizes $886 billion for national defense programs, about 3% more than last year. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer applauded the bill, saying, quote, America's military remains state-of-the-art at all times all around the world. The bill comes at a critical time, with conflicts in Ukraine and the Middle East and China flexing its military muscles in the Indo-Pacific. 
On the China front, the defense bill makes several strategic moves, including a new training program with Taiwan, a plan to speed up deliveries of Harpoon anti-ship missiles to the island, and an agreement to give Australia access to stealthier nuclear-powered submarines. The bill also extends a surveillance program aimed at preventing terrorism and catching spies. War with China in 2030. The latest American defense bill will mandate hundreds of reports about communist China and its military. The most notable among them, an assessment of potential fallouts from a hypothetical war with China in 2030. The bill would direct the Pentagon to analyze all possible outcomes of a war, from economic impacts to cyber attacks and loss of life. Specifically on, quote, the civilian populations of Japan, Taiwan, Australia and other countries in the Indo-Pacific region. The bill would also require the Defense Department to outline steps for beefing up U.S. defenses. An ambitious project to counter China's military might, three U.S. allies working together to build advanced fighter jets. The effort's headquarters now based in the U.K. Here's more. I don't know if you spotted, but earlier in the year, the Formula One World Championship uh, driver, uh, a Dutchman called Max Verstappen, uh, stormed victory for the third time. And it wasn't just that he drove a fantastic, excellent car, though it was. His car was actually married with a Japanese engine, mm-hmm. Italian tyres, and it was manufactured with British expertise. And today, we have collectively put our foot to the sort of proverbial metal again, joining the three countries together to produce something even faster than that Formula One car that Max won in. And this major program with Japan, Italy and the UK working together will create an entirely new fighter stealth jet, a sixth generation jet, supersonic, equipped with state-of-the-art sensors, the standard for future combat air. Building the world's most advanced fighter jet, that's the subject of an agreement between defense chiefs from the UK, Italy and Japan. The leaders signed the deal Thursday. All three countries are feeling the pressure of growing threats from China, Russia and North Korea. Three great nations that, in this world in which we live, feel threatened by state actors that are becoming more aggressive. Japan is Taiwan's closest neighbor. Rising tensions between China and Taiwan have prompted Japan to rapidly build up its military. The new jets are expected to be combat ready by 2035. A threat approached South Korea on Thursday, the same day the three countries inked their fighter jet deal. Six warplanes entered the country's air defense identification zone. Two of them from China, four from Russia. The zone isn't territorial airspace, but entering it is seen as provocative action. One day before, a White House official said the U.S., Japan and South Korea would share early warning information about North Korean ballistic missiles, noting the exchanges would begin within the next few days. Will Chinese aggression in the South China Sea escalate? Reports suggest the Philippines isn't taking chances. A senior military official on Wednesday said the country is gearing up against potential Chinese hostility. What does that preparation look like? Let's zoom in. One possible scenario, fighting against Chinese forces attempting to board Philippine vessels. That's part of Philippines' latest drills, preparing for possible action China could take as maritime standoffs intensify. But why the urgency? Tensions arose over the weekend after a collision in the South China Sea. This is a serious escalation 
on the part of the agents of the People's Republic of China. The Philippines reported that Chinese Coast Guard fired water cannons at its civilian supply vessels and even rammed one of the Philippine boats. With aggression on the rise, the Philippines is also strengthening military ties with its defense treaty ally, the United States. But the question is, when might the U.S. intervene? We consider the U.S.-Philippine Defense Treaty to apply in the cases of armed attacks against the Philippines. Now, here's the catch, armed attacks. So the State Department is implicitly saying that as long as nobody shoots, well, we don't know that the, the treaty actually applies. Retired Marine Colonel Grant Newsham says it's important for Washington to send a clear message to Beijing. And make it clear to the Chinese that Filipinos are allies, we're going to protect them. Uh, if you don't do it with the Philippines, well, you're always going to be able to come up with excuses why it's just too hard not to uh, do anything for Taiwan either. Beijing claims virtually all of the South China Sea as Chinese territory, covering about one third of global shipping routes. This includes exclusive economic zones belonging to the Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia and Brunei. An international tribunal declared those claims invalid. A global campaign targeting citizens at home and abroad. The House Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party is drawing attention to Beijing's threat to academic freedom at U.S. institutions. Here's more. Uh, I would like to first introduce Ms. Anna Kwan. Wednesday's hearing titled CCP Transnational Repression, the party's effort to silence and coerce critics overseas, invited testimony from three witnesses. Ms. Kwok, one of our witnesses, actually has a bounty on her head because she chose to stand up for freedom. Look at the wanted poster behind me. Representative Dusty Johnson says the courage of witnesses is giving a sense of how terrible the Chinese regime is. As we gain a deeper understanding of how comprehensive uh, the evil of the Xi Jinping regime is, it's amazing to me that there are still American CEOs, there are still American political leaders, there are still American thought leaders who think that they need to play nice with the Chinese Communist Party and the PRC. Of course, the Chinese people are not our enemies. They are the primary victims of Xi's reign of terror. But we should not go out of our way to pander or coddle a dictator. And The congressman says the U.S. needs to send a clear message, either through sanctions or other legal means. That you cannot uh, be a kingpin of this kind of organized crime and uh, get away with it. Johnson says the committee hearings give lawmakers opportunities to discuss how to hold the CCP accountable for its crimes. Witness Jinrei Zhang says he's received multiple threats on college campuses and online. He says his family has been interrogated over his dissenting views on the CCP. And uh, the threats were mostly the same and the objective of trying to get me to stop talking was the same. Uh, the difference is that they showed my father a printout of my private chat records with my mother and my sister. Jang says the benefit of telling his story outweighs any possible harm. I am in America, so I am less afraid. Um, but I do believe that, that there will be some consequences to this. But I believe it, it is also very, very important for me to come forward to say this because it is on the mind of so many people. Every person who has any kind of dissenting opinion against the Chinese Communist Party, they have thought about the possibility of being subject to transnational repression. 
Chairman Mike Gallagher told NTD that holding CCP collaborators accountable is a matter of educating law enforcement and demanding action in some cases. And I think that was the, that was really what happened with the illegal police station in New York. It's that initially the FBI didn't take action until there were reports drawing attention to it, and then they were forced to take action. So if we get law enforcement to a place where they're able to track things like this and take action before someone gets harassed or assaulted, that would be an ideal outcome. A tactic committee member Congresswoman Michelle Steele agreed was critical. So we really have to educate our law enforcement to protect us and protect all the immigrants. Gallagher says university leaders and administrators need to be held accountable for protecting their students from the CCP's repression. Um, you know, they seem to be obsessed with this idea of safe spaces, but when it comes to the actual physical safety of Chinese students or Taiwanese students, too often they turn a blind eye, perhaps because um, there's a lot of money coming from China to American universities. The chairman suggests that institutions be stripped of federal funding or tax-exempt status if they break laws around disclosing foreign gifts. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Next, some updates on the economic front. Two retail giants with Chinese roots are duking it out in U.S. court. Timu filed a new lawsuit in a U.S. District of Columbia court on Wednesday against its rival Xi'an. It's accusing the brand of using mafia-style intimidation to coerce suppliers to drop Timu. Tactics allegedly include detaining vendors in Xi'an's offices for hours, confiscating their electronic devices, and threatening them with penalties for doing business with Timu. Timu is based in China and Xi'an was founded in China. Most of both company suppliers are based in China. Xi'an has denied the accusations against it. Next, we turn to TikTok. The Chinese video sharing platform generated $10 billion in global consumer spending. It's the first app that isn't a mobile game to hit the milestone. But the platform comes with controversy. TikTok has come under fire over concerns about its connections to China. That's led governments worldwide to ban the app on official devices. The app is also accused of addicting teen users and causing other mental health harms. TikTok denies the those accusations. Over to Europe, Germany is working to cut its dependence on Chinese supply chains. It secured billions of subsidies for microchip plants in the European country. The money will go to Taiwanese chipmaker TSMC and U.S. tech companies Intel and Wolfspeed. Parliamentary State Secretary at the German Ministry of Economics, Michael Kellner, confirmed the news earlier this week. Germany has promised $22 billion to chipmakers. Unused funds from the pandemic were slated to pay for the incentives. Though the move was delayed after the German Constitutional Court ruled the use of that money unconstitutional. And Asia has a new leader for stock market listings this year. More Chinese companies chose the Indian city of Mumbai to launch their IPOs than any other financial center in China. The number of new listings in Mumbai is expected to rise 45% year-on-year. New listings in Hong Kong and Shanghai are expected to fall by about 20-30%. to 30%. Coming up, could a conflict between the U.S. and China spark in 2030? That's what the new U.S. defense bill is hinting at. And it's set to demand hundreds of reports from the Pentagon about China's military. The most eye-catching one, an assessment of a hypothetical war with China in the next decade. What's behind the urgency in defense preparedness? And just how crucial is preparing America's financial system in case of conflict with Beijing? We sat down with Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Foreshadowing of a major conflict to come. The new U.S. defense bill is hinting at a hypothetical war with China in 2030. What's behind it and why are lawmakers urging American banks to get ready in case of war with Beijing? We speak to Andrew Thornbrook, national security correspondent for the Epic Times, for insight. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be back on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, the U.S. just released their annual defense spending bill, and a lot of it mentions China, including the possibility of war and how they're preparing for in 2030. How is the U.S. preparing for war? Yeah, you know, the uh, National Defense Authorization Act, which really outlines the next year's worth of defense budgeting, uh, is really China-heavy this year. There's hundreds of references to uh, communist China and what to do in order to deter it all over the world. And a big part of that is this report that's been mandated in the budget uh, to essentially outline what the geopolitical and economic uh, ramifications would be of a direct war between the United States and China in the year 2030 uh, with all the technology and economic uh, advances that we have between now and then. And so that there was really a step forward in terms of showing how seriously Congress is taking this threat. There is really a fear that it could come to overt hostilities despite what we've we've been hearing. Now, in terms of war prep, the House Select Committee on the CCP also released its own report, 53 pages. It has 150 recommendations. That includes that the Federal Reserve should be required to stress test U.S. banks' ability to, quote, withstand a potential sudden loss of market access to China. What are the current risks of our financial institutions? Yeah, so I mean, I think that's a big problem, and no amount of de-risking is really going to solve this problem. I, I think that's what we're really seeing in Congress is that a direct conflict or even indirect conflict between China and the United States would be detrimental for the entire globe economically. We've seen report after report that you know the U.S. economy and Chinese economy would essentially crater, right, in, in a way that we haven't seen since the Great Depression. At least all our our system was designed, right? This global liberal system was designed specifically to intertwine our economies to prevent us from going to war. All right, the, the incentive there being, if we do go to war, it's going to destroy our economies. So that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. And as Congress sort of grows, you know, weary of this idea that the Chinese might go to war anyway, uh, it, it's really raised this fear that our systems are still intertwined and maybe we should be working to to uh, decouple them, for lack of a better word, right? And it seems it's not just the financial aspect for the intertwined. I think Raytheon CEO was saying how we can't even make some of our most important weapons because the parts are in China, the pharmaceutical industry, all these different industries. Given how intertwined the two countries are, what would that look like if war does break out? Yeah, so it would be detrimental, especially in the supply chain side, right? And this is true of China as well. Um, for instance, right now, they're they're incredibly independent on U.S. Uh, semiconductor technology, things like that, even not their most advanced ones. Um, so a lot of the intellectual property, uh, they're dependent on us for, even if they have to steal it. Uh, and in terms of hard resources, like uh, material resources, especially rare earth elements used in batteries and things like this, as well as in the construction of semiconductors, right? A lot of that we're dependent on Chinese mining operations for. And so there could be a real 
a, a lack of access to these things for both sides. I think one of these uh, responses to that is that we're seeing in the NDAA, for example, uh, a little bit of work towards trying to create larger stockpiles, right? Emergency national stockpiles of resources uh, because there would be widespread shortages. Now, given the positioning we're seeing coming out of Congress and the White House, on the other hand, we have corporate America or the biggest CEOs that were paying up to $40,000 a head to sit at the same table with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. How do we read that? Is corporate America still betting on China's economy, given despite the economic woes that are plaguing the economy? Yeah, I don't know if they're betting on the economy, but I think they're trying to turn the tide in their own way to prevent conflict, right? There, there's a desire, really, I think, among the business community to try to stabilize these relations for the benefit of profit, right? To try to keep these commercial ties intact, because, in fact, these commercial ties are one of the key things that prevent us from going to conflict with one another. Um, so it, it's it's a mixed bag, right? And there's definitely a, a greed aspect there with CEOs really just wanting to increase profits and still treat China as this huge emerging market. There's also a more strategic aspect there, which is just trying to help stabilize this from the private sector, this relationship. Andrew Thornbrook, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.